Hey, everybody. Welcome to No One Told Me, where we believe that hindsight is everything. My name is Callie, and every single week, here's what we do. We say our story matters. What we have walked through, what we have experienced. We want to turn around. We want to find someone who is walking through it, who's experiencing it the same way. And they just need to know, hey, I see you. It felt the same way for me. And here's what I did. Here's how I kept moving forward. So if you want more of this other than just once a week, make sure you're following us at NOTM Podcast on Instagram. I love hearing from you. I like knowing what you think, what you feel, what you use to get the stain out of your carpet because you were a fool and you put a white rug on the floor. I'm still paying the price for Chick-fil-A ketchup on it. I'll be honest with you. But I do love hearing from you. And this month in particular, September, it's the first Monday of September. And guys, let me tell you, I have committed myself to 100 miles of running or walking in the month of September. It's a little much. I mean, we're only what is when this airs will be September 6th. I'm a little I'm a little in over my head. I'll be honest with you. Like I'm a pretty regular runner. But everyone said 100 miles was a lot. And I didn't believe them. All right, someone tried to help me. And I ignored their help. And here we are. I'm feeling every inch of my 33 years right now. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Okay, we're gonna keep going because we can and it feels good to do it. So anyways, you know, a few nights ago, I was grabbing the car seats from my mom's car and I was I was sweating profusely as I put them back in our own car. Anyone who has ever moved car seats knows nothing will make you toe the line of rage like trying to clip a car seat into a hot car, right? Especially one that's been sitting outside a long time. So there's not even a break from the heat. And I'm on one side of the car. My mom is on the other. And both of us are just wrestling these seats into their rightful places. And I'm telling her about something that I was excited to share with a group. It was about this passage that I had read over the summer in my quiet time. Now the seats clicked in. I have sweat pouring down my face as I wrap up the high points of what I'm learning. And my mom just looks at me across the back seat and says, when are you going to understand that what you believe so much for everyone else is true for you too? And so I have to ask, when are you going to believe Jesus has just as much for you as he has for anyone else? What if you believe God could use you to accomplish his plan? What if you believe that he not only could use you, but he wanted to use you? I believe Jesus planted a stirring in you, in us, that he rooted a restlessness deep in us, a desire for more. Because Ecclesiastes tells us that we were made with eternity in our hearts. So there is a more being shaped in you. And the restlessness you feel is because that call deeper into who Jesus wants you to be is either being ignored, left undefined, or filled with something that will not make you look more like Jesus. So the year my mom turned 60, she decided that she wanted to run a race of varying lengths every month of that year. So sometimes to a month. And because I rarely think anything through fully, hello, September, 100 miles, I found myself saying I'd do it too. So we ran half marathons, 5Ks, 10Ks, and 8K that I'm still really unsure how far it actually was. Why are we measuring these things in kilometers? I mean, just tell me how far you want me to go in a number I can understand. I feel like that's fair, right? So whoever decided that, let's undecide it. But anyway, we'd show up to these races and everyone would crowd at the starting line and just a sea of people would be standing right there ready to go. And so I would work my way to the back because, you know, I'm entirely too competitive to be as slow as I am. And if you put me near the front, I will literally kill myself to prove I am faster 
than someone else. You will find me on the side of the road. There will be nothing left of me. So I always just positioned myself toward the back so I could at least build some confidence passing, you know, the lady who's knocking out a 5K for her 100th birthday party. But the anticipation is so big in those moments. The adrenaline is pumping and you're thinking, this could be the one. I could win it all. And, you know, by win it all, I mean not have to stop to use the bathroom three times because kids, am I right? If you've had them, you know what I mean. People are cheering, they're waving, they're waiting for the gun to fire, and then it does, and everyone's just moving for a few seconds as just one big blob. It's like you feel the pressure to start running as soon as the gun goes off, so you just started kind of doing this weird trot in place. I don't know, maybe to prove you're there to, to run, but people are yelling, air, horn, air horns are going off, the music is loud, it's, it is the best feeling. And then, however many miles go by, you find yourself approaching the finish line. So you sit up a little taller, you push your shoulders back, you lengthen your stride to look a little more legit, there's more cheering, the signs are being held up, you can see the clock over the finish line, keeping your time, every second starts to count, you know, you break into the sprint to the finish line, and then they give you a banana and a cookie because, you know, if I'm going to do physical activity, there needs to be some sort of reward system involved. But every race was the same and that the start and the finish were incredible, memorable moments. Everyone cared how you started and everyone cared how you finished. But no one cared about the space between. After the crowds thin out and the runners start separating, When you can be on a stretch of road completely alone for who knows how many miles, it's here in that space, you become a runner. You learn how to breathe easier. You figure out how your foot needs to strike the ground. You learn how to believe your body can do what your mind is saying it can't do. And I think many of us are living in the space between. You have started, right? You got into school. You got the job, the ring, the promotion, the pant size, the house, the child, the grandchild, and Everyone celebrated. And now you're on that long stretch of road. The one with markers like, can I do this? Should I have made that decision? Why is this so hard? When will it not feel like this? I thought this would be different. Am I doing enough? Am I doing too much? And it's in this space between when you start and when you finish that you are becoming. Putting in the next load of laundry, starting another dinner, turning in an assignment, clocking in, dropping the kids off, taking that walk, showing up when you'd rather hide. In all of this, you are becoming. And for some, it is refreshing. For some, it is painful. I understand both because I've experienced both. Over the summer, I was in the Old Testament. I was reading about kings becoming kings, reading about prophets who called on the power of God to lead. And Over the summer in particular, I was reading in 2 Kings for a long time. And what it focuses on is all the miracles God was using his prophet Elisha to accomplish. He was bringing people back to life. He was providing food for the starving. In 2 Kings 6, Israel was in a war, but they were winning simply because every time the enemy king planned something for his troops, God gave Elisha the ability to know what the move was. So Israel was always a step ahead. So this enemy king, he got so mad that he sent all of his troops in the middle of the night to capture Elisha. Listen to this from 2 Kings six fifteen. When the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha, got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Doesn't that sound like a question straight from the in-between? 
you know, this, this servant of Elisha's, he went to the door with him. He saw that and he said, oh, sir, what will we do now? Don't we ask that a lot? What will I do now? What should I do? I'm here. I'm where I wanted to be, but I feel lost. Or I'm not anywhere close to where I wanted to be, and I don't know how to get there. Listen to Elisha's response. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him. For there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Where you're looking in this in-between time, it matters. Because you'll want to look side to side to see if anyone is getting ahead of you, doing more than you, happier than you. You'll want to look back at either the better days or the place where you fell. Where your eyes are is where your heart is set. All Elisha's servant could see were the troops, the horses, and the chariots everywhere. His heart was sick over what he saw. So be ready because this in-between, it can be marked by despair, frustration, boredom, and you'll want to force something to skip past it. You'll want to grab an opportunity, get into a relationship, say yes when you clearly should have said no. Do not skip this season. Don't miss it. What would happen if you leaned into it? Pray Elisha's prayer. Oh Lord, open my eyes and let me see. Who am I becoming? Who are you shaping? I've been in this season of becoming. One I honestly didn't see coming. And my prayer every single day has been the same. Jesus, help me understand what I don't understand. Because where there is confusion, there is chaos. Chaos of the heart, chaos of the mind. And where there is chaos, most often there is despair. So don't miss that phrase in verse 17, right after Elisha's prayer for his servant. And when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. What are your eyes set on? Because where your eyes are set is where your heart will be set. Colossians 3, 2 from the message says it this way. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up. And be alert to what is going on around Christ. That is where the action is. See things from his perspective. If you want the more Jesus has for you in this season, set your eyes on the more he already planted there. Eternity. Second Kings continues just a few verses later. With this same enemy coming and surrounding Samaria, closing off any access to food or water, and a famine takes over the whole city. There was zero food. I mean, people had eaten their horses. They were selling donkey heads as food. It was, it was terrible. All right. And the king of Israel, he was so angry because there was nothing he could do about it. And so the king blamed God and thereby Elisha, a prophet of God. So he sends someone to kill Elisha as one does. But again, God gives a word to Elisha. He says, tell the king this, by the next afternoon, there would be food for everyone. And then the story ends. I mean, first, the king's assassin laughs, but th- he doesn't kill Elisha. So Second Kings takes this turn, and it starts talking about these four lepers sitting at the city gates. So just to recap, we were talking about Elisha almost being murdered, and now here are some lepers. Okay, so leprosy, it's this highly contagious skin disease. In the Old Testament, anyone with leprosy was an outcast, ignored, and unseen. 
So these four lepers, they're sitting outside the gates of this city of starving people. So they're even more so unseen, right? Listen to what it says in 2 Kings 7. Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. We will starve if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. Their decision to go is the very definition of meh, right? I mean, what else are we going to do? They make their way to the edge of the camp and no one was there. They went to this enemy camp. The city is surrounded. They show up at the camp. No one's there. It's completely deserted. Verse six says, for the Lord had caused the army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. They panicked and ran into the night abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. They left all their food, their horses, their donkeys, their silver and gold. And you know what the four lepers did? They rolled up on it and they ate and they drank and they were merry. But here's the deal. They realized, hey, there's enough for us and everybody else. There's a city of starving people. So they're like, we have to go back and tell people, right? So someone goes out to check. They go back, they tell the city, The city's unsure, so they're like, hey, send a guy out there to check if it's true. And they see that the lepers were right. The enemy is gone. There's enough food for everyone. People stampede out of this city into the enemy camp, and they're all eating again. They're filled as much as they want. 2 Kings 7, 17 says, so everything happened exactly as the man of God, that's Elisha, had predicted when the king came to his house. So the king rolled up said, hey, we're going to kill you now. Elisha's like, hey, God tells me by this time tomorrow, everyone's going to have what they need. They're going to be eating. They're like, okay, we'll see. And look what happens. This is after the lepers have come back. Everything happened exactly as the man of God had predicted when the king came to his house. So the promise of God that was made before, enough for everybody, God accomplished it. Great. Check. We love it. Love to hear it. Love to see it. But I want us to notice how God did this. More importantly, who he accomplished his promises through. Four lepers. Four people who believed they held no real value. They could bring nothing to the table. Four people with no clear vision of what was next, but they had a stirring, a restlessness. They may have felt every inch ignored, unwanted, and unseen. And that's what these seasons of becoming feel like. We feel ignored, unwanted, unseen, undervalued, and yet God saw them, wanted them, used them, gave them a vision of what was next, stood them up and sent them in a direction, made a way in a way no one expected. The God who wrote that story is writing yours right now. The God who has fulfilled every single promise up till now is the same God who is shaping you in this in-between in light of his good and perfect will for you, specifically for you. His story is your story. Your story is his story. So while he is molding you, be reminded, there are no insignificant stories in the story God is writing. Look at these four lepers. They were the very definition of insignificant, and God used them to accomplish his plan. 
His promise was fulfilled, not because they tried really hard. No, they just tried. So how you finish is determined by how you keep going. Don't stop trying. Do not stop pursuing the more he has for you. There is kingdom work to be done, work meant specifically and uniquely for you. And he who has begun a good work in you, let me say it this way. He who has started a work in you will be faithful, even in the in-between, to finish it. Because where we end, he begins. So I want to leave you with just a few questions. What is keeping you from moving forward? What's leaving you paralyzed? Is it complacency, anger, a relationship, a job, a habit, a desire unsurrendered? Who or what made you feel like you can't? How do you think Jesus feels about your hesitation? What would he say in light of your hesitation? And how has Jesus already met you in your doubt? Okay, now, what is it that he is calling out in you right now? When you quiet the fear and doubt, what is he asking of you? Is it inviting people into your home? A specific time you're committing to pray over something? Maybe it's a gift you've been sitting on because you think you're not the one to do it. Maybe it's fostering or writing letters of encouragement. Will you surrender whatever it is that's keeping you from it? You know, for me, I didn't realize until now that doubt had become a close friend of mine. A life raft to excuse myself from falling deeper into relationship with Jesus. You know, I thought he must mean all of this for someone else, not for me. It's too late for my story to be different. But five years from now, if you ask me about my doubt, I want to be able to tell you I left it in 2021. So for you, those questions, rewind, go back, listen to them again, write them down, maybe give them to a friend and let them ask you, right? Let's, let's build in some accountability. Let them ask you these questions and answer honestly, because until we can be honest with ourselves, I don't know that we can be about what God's called us to be about. I'm saying that I believe everything that we have said is true for me right now. And I know it's true for you too. So maybe it's time we start believing it.